it's really great to see you this morning. You know, you, you maybe aren't wearing the, the Easter dresses and the hats. You maybe aren't going to be taking pictures in front of the azalea bushes or at a garden. You might not be having an Easter ham dinner around the table later with friends and family. Uh, so this Sunday is a little bit different, but I always do um, enjoy the contrast of the full-packed house on Easter Sunday, the, uh, you know, the pomp and circumstance of it all, the, you know, every, the music's just at its highest pitch, every, the energy's buzzing, everybody's there. And then, you know, we kind of go back to normal the next week. This traditionally is called Low Sunday. So I do have to give a, a hats off to you. The, uh, you know, the, I'm preaching to the choir today, I feel, as, though, as it were. Um, the faithful who have come back for a second helping. I, I am always intrigued, though, about Easter being such a high day. Everybody comes, and the announcement is, Jesus is risen, Alleluia. The gates of hell and death and Hades have been broken forever. You have life eternal. It's the most exciting, joyous news. And then the next week, we're like, oh, the Masters is on. I might need to go to the beach. I think I'm going to take it easy. That kind of wore me out. What, you know, Holy Week's a thing, isn't it? And so, but you've come back. But I do wonder about those that don't return back. You know, we call them CNE Christians, you know, the Christmas and Easter. And, you know, I do wonder, what is it that's not hitting and connecting? This amazing thing has happened, and yet it's kind of like, oh, the weather's changed, or, hey, we're kind of business as usual again, back into the regular routine. Easter may feel like a nice, sentimental kind of holiday, It might be cheerful and even, like, uplifting to us, but I do wonder, do we recognize that this is an honest-to-God resurrection of a bodily being from the grave? (laughs) That is astounding, mind-blowing, earth-shattering news around which the disciples and the apostles reoriented their entire lives (laughs) and began to proclaim this message Jesus, who was dead, is now alive. And Jesus comes into their midst. And perhaps you're coming in here today um, feeling a little bit like maybe one of the disciples. Like, I've seen the Lord. I feel excited. This is good. Or maybe you came in with questions, doubts. Maybe you feel like Thomas today. But listen to the words Jesus gives and says to you today. Blessed are they that do not see and yet believe. You are blessed today to be here. Though you do not see the risen Lord yet, perhaps you believe or perhaps you want to believe. I don't know if you're unsure about what to do with this news or maybe you're unconvinced and you're still str- and you're struggling with that. But Thomas got this opportunity I think all of us would have wanted, right? Lord, if it's really you... Uh, let me see for myself. Let me, with my sensory ability, be able to touch. Where were you pierced? Where did the nails go in? You are flesh and blood. You're really and truly risen. You're not just an apparition or a ghost. I think all of us in our heart of hearts would have liked to have that experience. And Jesus, in this amazing, gracious way, doesn't chastise Thomas for his disbelief because I don't think any of us would have been any different. 
Rather, he invites him to say, see what I lost for you. See the hole that was made, what I gave up for you. See where I was pierced and the blood and the water came out. That was for you. I atoned for all of your flaws, all of your mistakes, every betrayal. I've covered it over. And so Thomas's response to that is one of worship. He falls down, my Lord and my God. What would we be left to think? One who is dead is now alive right there in front of us, full with the scars of the wounds of his own demise. William Temple, a great um, archbishop in the 1930s, he said that only a God whose perfect being pain has its place can hold and win our worship. Only a God in whom pain has its place. And pain certainly had its place in the Passion Week for Jesus. We've heard the story. He was beaten and bruised for our iniquities, for our inadequacies for our failures, both the things we've done and the things we've left undone. He who was most fully human and alive took on death for we who dehumanize ourselves and one another so that we might have life. And that's good news. That's radically good news. And maybe you're like the man who encountered Jesus, who had a a son, who had epileptic episodes and was throwing himself in fire and he was desperate. He said, Lord, help my son. And Jesus said, I'll help you if you only believe. And he said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Maybe that's you today. I I believe this. I want to believe this, but I also have these places of doubt, these struggles. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. But the truth is the apostles were so caught by this experience, everything ratcheted around 180 degrees. They went from fearfully cowering for fear of the authorities. What if they were next? Their leader had been taken and falsely tried and crucified. Maybe they were next. They were in fear and hiding. After seeing Jesus and being commissioned by him to go and tell this story, they boldly proclaimed it at at risk of peril of their own lives. Something changed. They were eyewitnesses to these things. And the truth is, you and I, we commend that which we enjoy, don't we? If you enjoy a, a movie or a television show, you tell people about it. Hey, have you checked out what's on Netflix right now? Or, man, I'm really into this thing. Let me tell you about it. We so easily do that. It's a natural thing we do. What will you do in this Easter season with this news of a resurrected Messiah who has died for your sins and risen again for your justification that you might have relationship with God? And that this news is not just for you, but for the whole world, for the healing of the world. Acts records that with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. They were under orders of their most high king. A bodily resurrection. They, they couldn't keep their mouths shut. And so th- this message, it burned with a, like a flame, and it set the entire Mediterranean world on fire with this astounding news that Caesar's not Lord, Jesus is. And he's been vindicated by God with his resurrection from the dead. You need to bend in allegiance to him, not to Caesar. And that was a radically, um, a radical message, countercultural at, at its utmost. 
You had only a few disciples gathered in that room in our John 20 passage. At the time of Jesus' resurrection, only a few real believers, Christ followers. Three, fast forward 300 years, the Mediterranean world, almost half of it is Christian. 30 million Christ followers. How does that happen in a short period of time? Relatively. It's ordinary people, these apostles, fishermen, a tax collector, telling an extraordinary story. A story that seems too good to believe, doesn't it? That Jesus, whom you have killed, is alive. This message that new creation is broken in. God is doing a new thing. He created the world and all of, all of its goodness and glory, and it fell into ruin of sin quickly. But God is remaking the world, and the, the pinnacle act, the first act here, is he's raising his son from the dead. And now you have a relationship with God. God is undoing death. He's, he's asking you to reorient all of your life around him. How you handle your, and see finances. What sexual relationship looks like. How you interact with the poor and the vulnerable. How you go about your vocation. All of these things are under the lordship of one who could not be contained by a tomb. And so they started gossiping the gospel telling people. It wasn't just the public proclamations that we see in the book of Acts. It was those individual Christians who went, this is so exciting and new. And they started telling people in the marketplaces and in their homes and in the fields while they worked. And they started gossiping the gospel. And that's how the message spread. It wasn't super Christians. It wasn't uh, just exceptional people. It was ordinary people, but they had an extraordinary message. I know many of us wouldn't be sitting here if you hadn't had at some point in your life somebody, an ordinary person, a parent, a neighbor, a coach, a friend, come and tell you, I believe and trust in Jesus Christ and I want you to know this good news too. I know I was a teenager and I was not raised in the church. I wasn't, I didn't know the stories of the Bible. And yet I had two men enter my life and start to tell me. One of them was Scotty McDonald. And Scotty was a cheerleader from University of Georgia. I mean, he was just happy all the time, could do backflips. And I mean, he's so happy it made me sick. And, but, but he was just a joyful person. He was like, man, I'm so excited about Jesus. Let me tell you about him. The other one was Dr. Ralph Lear, an older man in the community who just loved Jesus and loved teenagers. And he said, man, this is the best way to live. You'll, have, you'll never have a better adventure than following Christ. They gossiped the gospel to me. Dare say somebody's probably done that for you. And what an opportunity you have in this Easter season being sent out. After all the acclaim and the fanfare of Holy Week and Easter, to enter into what does discipleship in this new way look like? What does it look like to follow a risen Lord who's so, who's so wild that he can't be tamed by death? What could possibly happen, Cathedral? What could happen here in downtown Orlando? You know, of course, we know that not everybody believed this message. Not everybody got to be an eyewitness. Some were converted on the spot, but some never bought it. But we know from the Gospels that there were people that were firsthand eyewitness eyewitnesses to the miracles Jesus was performing. 
They saw him heal people. They saw him feed thousands from just a couple fish and loaves of bread. And yet, they walked away from him. And they didn't believe it. It sounds like seeing actually isn't believing. And increasingly, you're aware we're in a very skeptical culture. Culture that doesn't necessarily um, honor um, or feel drawn to religious institutions. Um, there's, a, there's a segment of people in our culture that they're calling the nuns and the duns. Not like Catholic nuns, but N-O-N-E-S. There, there's no affiliation. Th- th- this, in fact, uh, Pew Research said that between 2007 and 2014, the, the category of unaffiliated rose 7%, from 16% to 23%. That means one in four people are unaffiliated with a religious organization. That's more numerous than Catholics or mainline Protestants, by the way. These are people who are disillusioned not so much by Jesus, but by his followers. I read in an Atlantic article last year about a young atheist, and he said this, and this quote's haunted me. Christianity is something that if you really believed it, it would change your life. And you would want that to change the lives of others too. And then he said this, I haven't seen too much of that. What he finds unbelievable and unconvincing is our lack of joy and excitement to actually share this news with them. That's really, you know, that hits me. But this is an apostolic witness. It's not so much that they, don't, they haven't heard in some fashion. It's that they find it discredible. <laughs> but we, we stand on apostolic teaching. These were eyewitness accounts of Jesus' resurrection. We, we heard in the reading from 1 John, that which we have heard with our ears, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've touched with our hands. He has been among us. Jesus, the risen one. This is the medicine, friends, that we need to cure our sickness, every one of us. This is the medicine that the world needs. John finished his passage by saying, This is written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's why we have these written accounts. It's written for you, sitting here in the cathedral church in 2018, so that you might have life in his name, that you might believe on Christ, that you might call on him for forgiveness of sin, for a way out of your shame, to find hope in this life and the next. It's much like that uncle, those uh, army posters with Uncle Sam pointing with his finger, you know, I want you. John's saying, I want you and you, and you, to trust Jesus Christ. Believe on him. We do have an advocate with the Father. It's Jesus Christ, the righteous. And it's such an amazing deal, guys. We bring our sin, our unhealth, our neediness, and we are met with a God who is full of love and mercy. He embraces us where we are. 
This gets told by ordinary people telling an extraordinary story. There's a prayer in our Book of Common Prayer that we pray sometimes here at the cathedral. We pray for those who do not yet believe and those who have lost their faith. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe that's somebody close to you. It is our sincere prayer that you will trust in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, that you will look to him in faith. And if that's you today, please know we'd love to talk to you about that. See, because Jesus is for the convinced as well as for the unconvinced. Jesus is for the insider, and Jesus is for the outsider. Jesus is for the cradle Episcopalian, to whom all this is very familiar. And he's for those distrusting of organized religion. He's for you. Christ is for you. So what are you going to do with this announcement going forward? The Easter proclamation that death and sin no longer have a grip on you. Your sin has been atoned for. God's grace is open to you. You're going to come forward in a few minutes. We're going to invite you to Holy Communion. When you receive that bread and that wine, may, may the love of God wash over all of your questions and your doubts. May it wash over your fears and your, your shame. May he meet you in the place you need. And if that's not you, if you don't think it's appropriate to take communion, please come anyway and Fold your arms over your chest as a sign that somebody could pray for you. We would love to be able to say a prayer of God's blessing over you. That the life Jesus came to give you would become yours. And perhaps all of us would leave here as ordinary people, excited to share an extraordinary story. Amen.